What a great story Christmas is. You know, what a great, what a great idea. It's so good. It's like it's almost too good to be true. It's like, you know, something that someone would make up almost to get you to believe something. You know, it's, it's, it's suspiciously perfect. Like it's a setup uh, of some sort. It's like, it's like perfect, you know. I mean, look at the Christmas story from, from the very beginning, for example. You know, the Christmas story didn't actually begin with Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and the baby, but with a, a couple named Elizabeth and named Zachariah. And they were an elderly couple who never had children. But an angel comes to them and says, you, you guys, even though it looks like it's too late for you to have a baby, even though it appears that it's too far past for you to have a baby, you're going to have a baby. And you know, if you weren't have a baby in those days, though, people thought that you were cursed by God or you had, you had done something to not deserve God's favor or hadn't done enough to deserve God's favor in the first place. But the angel said, no, you're, you're going to have a baby. God's favor is upon you. It's not going to be just any baby, actually. It's going to be a boy, a baby boy named John, and he's going to grow up to be a, a kind of a prophet and a proclaimer of the good news that the Messiah is coming the long-awaited deliverer of the world. And of course, this was especially perfect because when Jesus grew up, he would always go and talk to people and declare to them that though they had done nothing to deserve it, that God's favor was upon them. You know, the very ones who thought they had no place in God's story, who were too old to be able to ever do anything in God's plan. Now, God was pulling them into the story. And of course, it's, it's perfect because you come to the, another person like Mary, who the angel came to and said, Mary, God's favor rests upon you. And of course, this would have been just uh, mysterious and mind-blowing for Mary. She must have been thinking, I'm only, I'm only 14 years old. You know, I haven't lived long enough for me to be able to do anything to ever deserve God's favor. How could God's favor be on me? But the angel said, it doesn't matter. God has just chosen you because He loves you because that's how God's favor works. It's just kind of perfect, you know, because you see throughout Jesus' life, He would go around showing God's favor to people who had done nothing to deserve. Matter of fact, Jesus would go around not just to those who had done nothing to deserve it, but to those especially who had actually done things to deserve favor from no one, to those who would impoverish their nation, who had ever been maybe unfaithful to their families, who had cheated or who had stolen. Why? Well, not because they earned it, because that's just how God's favor works. And the angel coming to a person like Mary is just perfect. It's just perfect. It just shows that's what Christmas is all about. And it gets even more perfect if that were possible because the first people to whom the Christmas message came were a group of people called shepherds, of course. And shepherds were considered lowly and unclean and dirty people because the shepherds took care of dirty animals and they walked behind dirty animals. And you and I both know what happens to people who walk behind dirty animals. They step in what dirty animals leave behind. And as a result, the shepherds, they weren't allowed to go into God's temple and make their sacrifices. No, they would actually raise the animals that the good people would take to be able to to bring, to make their sacrifices. And then the the shepherds would go back to their lonely and dirty lives of service. You know, it would have been easy if you were a shepherd in that day, I believe, for your heart 
to grow hardened and to become cynical about your lot in life. But this is where actually the perfect part comes in because the angels don't come and announce the birth of Jesus to good people in the temple. No, they come to the ones who weren't allowed to go in. They go to the shepherds. They get the good news first. They actually become the first evangelists. We see the the outsiders being brought in, the ones who are at the top of the heap are now at the bottom and the ones who were at the bottom of the social ladder are now at the top the angels were saying you who have never been invited into anything else are now being invited into god's plan see which is perfect it's perfect because all through jesus's life he would go to those who had never been invited into anything he would show that god's favor is for all people you know it's it's almost too perfect over and over again. I mean, look at the kinds of people the Christmas story is about. But we're not done, actually, because there's also the perfect time period in history where this took place. About 1,500 miles from where Jesus was born, there was a really important man named Caesar Augustus. And you may have heard of him. You may have studied him in school or learned about him in a class somewhere. He was a very famous leader. He created the the famous Roman peace. And Caesar Augustus was actually the son of a man named Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar had actually been given divine status. He had been proclaimed to be a god by his followers. And so... This meant that Augustus, his son, was considered to be the son of a God. The son of a God. So you have here the son of a God ruling from his throne in a palace in Rome in an important part of the world. And you have the son of God being born in a manger in a tiny town, in a tiny nation, in a tiny place on the other side of the empire. I mean, can you see all the perfect drama and tension here? You've got the Son of a God and the Son of God who are both on earth at the same time. But it's so perfect because this story upends all the things we think are perfect. Let me just ask you, when do you ever even hear about Caesar Augustus anymore? Hmm? When do you hear about him? I mean, really, the only time you ever hear about this one-time great ruler, the greatest ruler Rome ever had, is when we read the Bible story about the birth of Jesus. See, the greatest ruler the Roman Empire had ever known has been reduced to a footnote in the life of a Jewish carpenter. It's like everything we would ever want to have happen is happening in this story. There are so many little threads and, you know, and, 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 and fabrics and things woven in here and shreds. It's almost too good to be true. And you know, it's easy to take and kind of believe when you're a child. It just is. You read the story. They believe it. But then sometimes when you get older, your heart gets a little harder and you, you read things or you hear things and it's easy to sort of let this thing sort of drift and fade over into the category of myth or legend or fantasy. And you know, then, then, then you see stuff like this, like this kind of picture and you think, oh, now that, that's just too perfect. That's just too perfect. I mean, these people, they've got perfect hair and perfect teeth and they weren't even any orthodontists back then and no by the way jesus is like halfway sitting up you know babies don't have abdominal muscles like that and you know and he's got blonde hair and we all know how many blonde babies there were being born in the ancient middle east 
You look at this, and of course, look at, look at the mother, look at Mary. Any woman who's ever had a baby would know this is not how you're going to look after having a baby in a barn without anesthesia. And it all can come to be so magical and mystical feeling. And if we're not careful, we can come to label it as, as, as fable or myth or legend or fantasy. But, but if you think about it, the Christmas story isn't even a good fable. It's not even a good myth because myths all have morals or some point to them. You know, when you read the myths and the fables, there's always a lesson for you, you know, like don't eat the sour grapes or don't ride across the stream on the alligator's back. Or there's even sort of the historical, uh, you know, myths that we have in our nation. You know, the one about George Washington, perhaps about he he couldn't tell a lie and, you know, he didn't really chop or not chop down the, the cherry tree. It probably never happened. But that's not the point of the story. The point is that he couldn't tell a lie. And neither should we, right? That's, that's the point. But what's, what's the moral here, right? What's the lesson? Is it, I don't know, it's, you know, too bad. Next time, make sure you call ahead on your travel plans, right? Make sure you, you book a room online or it's going to be, you know, you're going to be stuck out in the guest room or something. I don't know. Is it, you know, maybe pack an extra pair of clothes for your baby. Otherwise, you'll be stuck with some strips in a, in a room. I don't know. What's the lesson? There's no lesson. There's no lesson here. But we can still, even though we realize that, sort of let it slide towards the myth category. But, thankfully, to the rescue of Christmas come two men, one named Matthew and one named Luke. Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. He knew Jesus' mother and his family. He knew when he listened to him. And he knew the people that he wrote about. And when he began to write his Christmas story, he didn't begin once upon a time like a good myth or legend or fable would. No, he begins by plunging us actually into history. And he starts this way. He says, there was a man who had a, named Abraham who had a son, who had a son, who had a son, who had a son. And Jesus is the end of the line. He was really born. Matthew is showing us this, that Jesus was a real person born in history because for someone who had never met him, he would seem too good to be true. But Luke's account, oh, Luke, Luke's even better. Luke was a, a doctor, and Luke knew Jesus' brother and his mother, and he knew the followers of Jesus, and because Luke was, he was a thinker, he wanted to get the story straight. He, he sifted through all the accounts of this man named Jesus, and he said, there's some conflicting details here, and I'm, I'm going to write this so that you and Mike, we can get the story straight. And so Luke, like a good reporter, actually, the good news story begins this way in Luke 1. This is what he wrote. He said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's telling us there are several versions of the Christmas story that have been told to him from the people who were there at the beginning. And he said this, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were what? Eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He's saying, I interviewed Peter, I interviewed Mary, I interviewed his family and his friends and folks from his hometown, all the the major players, and I got the story from them, and I decided to put together an accurate account, not a myth, not a legend, not a fable, not a fantasy, not a fairy tale, but the real thing of what actually happened. He just goes on, I said, I too decided to write a what? An orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty so that you can know it's not a myth. You can know it's not a, a legend or something that's passed into fantasy. No, Luke is saying, I'm about to, to tell you, and this is how Luke does it. He also anchors his story in history. He doesn't begin 
a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, he risks his reputation on getting it right. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says this. In those days, here we go, historical detail. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And then he gives us an even riskier and even greater parenthetical detail. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, this, of course, has been hotly debated, but we know now that Syria had not just one but two censuses taken during Quirinius' time in office. What's the point? Oh, Luke is anchoring it in history. He's dropping a pin into the Google map of history and saying, find it here, find it here find it right here see for yourself and he goes on to talk about joseph and mary and how they went to joseph's hometown for the for the census (coughs) and while they were there mary gave birth to a baby boy named jesus who would grow up to be the savior of the world now now what if it's really true what if it's really true what if it really went down like how matthew and luke wrote it down and what if What if what the angels said to the shepherds was the most important thing that had ever been said up to that time? But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? All the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. Who's the news for? Oh, all people, not just insiders or church folk or pastors or moral successes or superstars or celebrities. No, but the, as for the outsiders, for those beaten up by life who have never been invited into anything, who feel like a failure and who nobody lets in, who have been discriminated against. People like Elizabeth and Zachariah, who seem too old to ever play a part in God's story. These are the ones that God brings into his perfect story. There were people like Mary, who was an unwed teenage mother. Oh, it's scandalous today. How much more? 2,000 years ago. People like Joseph, who never made much money and died young, and whose his carpentry company never went public, never had initial offering, he never sold his shares to take care of his family. No, they get pulled to the front. They have a starring role. The shepherds who did the dirty work for a culture at large. See, the whole reason the story's perfect is because it's full of imperfect people. It's full of the underdogs, the outcasts, the also-rans. And the reason we can see it's perfect is because it shows us what all our hearts desperately want to be true. That we, every kind of person, is loved. Is loved. No matter who we are or what we've done. Rich, poor, old, young, good, bad, old, all that. We've all got our part to play in God's story. The good news tonight is that God's favor is for all the people who come to him like this. Who know They're on the outside. We know that they're outsiders and people who could never save themselves. The gospel is that God's grace comes to those like people in the Christmas story who are outsiders in some way. (coughs) Elizabeth, Zachariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, they all knew they were people for whom God's 
favor would have been a total shock and surprise. They all knew they had done nothing to deserve it. Let me ask you, do you know this? Do you know that? See, because as much as this message, friends, is perfect, it's also offensive. You ask offensive, and this seems really warm and pastel-y colored and kind of melts my heart. No. It's offensive in this one word, the word Savior. The word Savior. See, when the angel uses the word Savior to describe what God is sending, it tells us this, that we're not just mistakers. We're not just well-meaningers, people who are having a hard-timers, those who need to turn over a new leafers. No, the word Savior means we're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of saving because we can't get it right on our own. The world is too bad, and the human heart is too wicked, and God himself is going to have to come. And that word and that thought may sound harsh, but listen, you know it's true. And the reason I know you know it's true is because you don't even keep your own rules. You don't even keep your own rules. You break those rules when it's convenient, or as we call it in our culture, necessary. And if you break your own rules, which are based on your every whim, there's no way you, would, you could ever keep a God's, God's faithful, constant, consistent, never-changing rules. See, the reason this story is perfect, and it's perfectly offensive in the perfect way, is because God didn't send us an al- a list of additional commandments. He sent himself to do for us what we could never get on our own, never buy, never sow, never order online, never get overnight into our house. No, we got what we could never get on our own a Savior to come and keep the commandments for us and save us from ourselves. See, the Christmas story, the Christmas story is not just perfect, it's better than perfect. And it's better than perfect because it's true. Because it's true. Jesus came for all people. He came for you, and he came for you, and he came for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Every person, every kind of person, every shape of person, every age of person. Because the truth is, we're all lost apart from the grace of God. He came for us. And tonight, this story, let me tell you, it's not about, actually about inspiration, although I hope you get inspired. It's about perfection. Perfection. And the kind of perfection only a perfect God can give through his perfect gift, which was his perfect son, The one thing we could never get or buy or beg or borrow or even steal on our own. It's about becoming his child, the one on whom his favor rests. And tonight, you may be here with your family. I'm glad you are because you may be here if you are here. All right. If you'll have the courage to look at this perfect story in its perfectly offensive way in a new light and see it's not that the good are in and the bad are out. The Americans are in and the Muslims are out. The old are in and the young are out or vice versa. No, it's that the humble are in and the proud are out. If, you're, if you'll do that and see that now, now, you're beginning to unwrap the perfect gift. 
You're beginning to unwrap it. And in a moment, we're going to receive communion together. Our ushers are going to come and our band's going to join us on the stage. And our ushers are going to pass the elements. So we're going to take in our hands two things that for centuries Christians have said represent and speak to what Jesus had to do for sinners. To have his body broken and his blood shed. And as you hold those things tonight, if you'll have even the courage just to pray a simple prayer and say, you know what, tonight, Lord, would you come in? Lord, you came for me all my life, perhaps. I've resisted you. I've kept my heart hard towards you, but I could never save myself. Lord, would you rescue me even from my good works? Oh, that's the moment. The miracle of Christmas begins all over again. And now as our band comes, our ushers will begin to pass the elements. We're going to sing another song. Would you hold these elements here in your hands? I'll come back up in a moment and instruct us, and we'll receive them all as a church together. Let me just pray for us as our band comes. Lord, would you now, would you minister to our hearts? We're in such need of your grace. Lord, we thank you for your perfect story. Lord, let it offend our hearts where they need to be offended. Let them calm us where we need to be calmed. Let it heal us where we need to be healed and disturb us where we need to be disturbed. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, from the youngest person to the oldest in here, let us have an encounter and a moment with you now in our time. In Jesus' name, amen.